Each month, the Security Ledger podcast informs and entertains an audience of thousands of technology and information security professionals. If that sounds like an audience your company is trying to reach, consider sponsoring one of our podcasts. We offer per-episode sponsorships of our weekly podcasts, which feature news, analysis, and discussion of the most important cybersecurity topics of the day. Or you can commission a custom podcast to highlight your executives, researchers, and subject matter experts. To learn more, point your web browser to securityledger.com slash sponsor. Hello, and welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's episode of the podcast number 209. We need a diverse skill set in the cybersecurity world. We need people that can solve problems and not necessarily take traditional ways, you know, people that can think outside the box. If you interview enough cybersecurity executives about their paths to senior positions in the information security industry, you hear pretty similar stories. Common theme is early service in one of the branches of the military or the intelligence services. It gives them access to invaluable experience both in cyber defense, opposite some of the most capable adversaries in the world, as well as, in some cases, cyber offense. That's true of our guest this week. What's less common is that she's a woman in an industry where less than a quarter of working professionals are women. To wrap up our coverage of Women's History Month, we sat down this week to interview one of the top information security executives in the industry. Renee Tarrant is a deputy CISO and vice president of information security at Fortinet. In this interview, Renee and I talk about her journey to a leadership role in the information security industry, including her work within the federal government and the intelligence services. Renee and I talk about how the information security industry needs to scale up to meet the challenges of the future. That means both embracing technologies like machine learning and automation to help manage a tsunami of data and threats that organizations are contending with, but it also means broadening the avenues into the information security field and attracting a wider range of skills, both hard and soft, to the industry. In this conversation, Renee and I talk about how organizations might do that And we also talk about her latest project, a children's book to educate kids about basic cybersecurity concepts. To start off, I asked Renee to talk just a little bit about the work that she does at Fortinet. Sure. I'm Renee Tarrant. I'm Deputy CISO at Fortinet. Renee, welcome to Security Ledger Podcast. Thanks, Paul. It's great to have you. Great to be here. So I guess to start off, Renee, tell us a little bit about the work that you do at Fortinet right now. Well, sure. I'm the deputy CISO at Fortinet. Um, I've been at Fortinet for about four years, um, focusing on internal security, product security, and policy and compliance. And you've got a really interesting background. You spent some time in government sector before moving to Fortinet. What you learned and what you were focused on. Yeah, absolutely. I had a variety of jobs in the, in the federal government, um, you know, ranging all the way from development engineering to policy and strategy to, you know, obviously policy and, and compliance. My last assignment actually at NSA was actually serving as a special assistant to the director of NSA for cyber. And we did a lot of cross-agency coordination and collaboration on cyber initiatives, but also more importantly, working down at the White House and in the interagency, working with my peers and partners across the U.S. government really focusing on uh, cyber strategy and policy at the national level. And, and a part of that was really focusing on, you know, what can we do to really increase the cybersecurity and the critical infrastructures? 
And that was something that really kind of drove me towards, you know, Fortinet. When I made the decision to leave the federal government, it was really important for me to feel like I was still giving back and still doing, you know, good for the nation. So joining a company like Fortinet that, you know, has our solutions in every critical infrastructure um, really made me feel like I was still doing uh, my part for, for the nation and helping keeping it secure from a cyber perspective. You know, the, the work you did at NSA is, is incredibly relevant right now because I think one of the big conversations that's going on internally here within the United States, obviously by custom and by law, the, the NSA hasn't really focused its uh, attentions domestically. It's been more about foreign surveillance. But a lot of people feel like, you know, the country kind of needs a talent that is, you know, resident within the NSA. I'd be interested in your thoughts on, on that. I think it really takes, in, in today's environment, it really takes uh, a, really a public and private relationship. There's a lot of great uh, knowledge uh, in the private sector as well that I think can also benefit, you know, the, the U.S. government. Um, so I really think it takes more emphasis and proactive efforts to help continue to build that relationship between the private and, and public sector. Obviously, you know, there's definitely insights that the U.S. government has on, you know, definitely the types of adversaries out there and the techniques and tactics that are being using. Um, but also, I think, you know, the, the private sector has a lot to share because they're they're fighting the battles day in and day out. Um, so I think there's a lot um, that they can learn from each other. And so it's really about creating more of those opportunities where we can do some of that information sharing and collaborative efforts. So obviously, you know, uh, th- this has been a been a tough year uh, for everybody with uh, COVID-19 and from you know a cybersecurity standpoint, a very challenging year as well with the transition to work from home, remote work, and all of the things that followed from that, including a real jump in cyber attacks as as uh, adversaries kind of preyed on uh, folks working from home offices and uh, maybe letting their guard down a little bit. So, what does the year look like at Fortin? I'm sure you guys were not uh, immune from from some of that as well. Uh, workers all of a sudden, you know, remote remote working where they maybe were in an office before. Um, What's what's struck your notice this year or what have you been paying attention to regarding COVID and and cybersecurity? Yeah, I mean, I think at the forefront is is really the fact that, you know, for a lot of people, including kids, they weren't necessarily prepared to be working and learning remotely. I think the technology has always been in place to enable it. Um, but then when we were forced to embrace it, um, I think for a, a lot of people, they didn't necessarily understand what it meant to work remotely and more importantly, what it meant to work remotely securely. So we've seen definitely more sophisticated and targeted uh, social engineering techs um, with more phishing and ransomware. And really, I mean, you can have some of the best technologies in the world, but at the end of the day, you really need to have that human firewall. You really need to have that insight because a lot of times, you know, they're, they're the first line of defense that you're going to see. So it's really important that, you know, for organizations that, you know, they provide that security awareness and, and training um, for all employees, you know, just not your technical staff. Um, and that's why one of the things that Fortnite has done is we, we've introduced uh, free training um, to, to address this very need um, with more than 30 self-paced training courses on various key topics, including remote working. And we've also introduced InfoSec training service that's now available free to any organization that's looking to implement a cyber awareness training program for its employees. Yeah, I mean, it, people often assume that everybody kind of knows their their P's and Q's from an information security kind of threat awareness standpoint, but it's really not true. And we continue to see, you know, uh, malicious email attachments and, and uh, phishing email be very effective uh, lures for employees. So that that's interesting. Um, 
what um uh, you know what? What do you think is uh, the uh, the most important lesson for for employees to learn? Uh, remote employees, I guess, um, to protect themselves. What, what's a, what's a mistake that that people make most often? Um, one of the things is first and foremost, you know, is in ensuring they're keeping their devices up to date, proper patches. Um, you know, in ensuring that you know they think before they click, um, especially on emails that have any suspect links or attachments that they weren't suspecting, ensuring they're using passwords or using multi-factor authentication, you know, add that additional layer of protection because, you know, the cyber criminals are definitely targeting uh, user IDs and, and passwords. So you want to make sure you have those complex passwords and that you don't use the same password across the board. Um, you shouldn't be using the same, you know, password for your work accounts shouldn't be the same as your online banking accounts. Um, and so really being aware of also, you know, your home network, um, making sure you're doing things like securing your your router, making sure that you don't have default passwords installed. Um, so really it's focusing on just having more cyber awareness and having, you know, good cyber hygiene practices. Yeah, your your home router, that's a thing with like the cobwebs and the dust bunnies <laughs> around it, right? In your in your you know living room or down in your basement that that nobody pays that much attention to. But pretty pretty important piece of equipment. So you wrote a really good piece recently on CSO, CSO Online, and it was titled uh, Proactive Security Requires Leveraging AI and Automation, in which you made, I think, some pretty persuasive arguments for the need for more automation. I mean, I think we've seen, you know, kind of firsthand how difficult it is to scale up incident response and and just cyber defense these days. Can you talk to us about, I guess, maybe kind of reprise your thesis there, but also talk about, you know, what role you see technologies like machine learning, AI, you know, automation playing in InfoSec, you know, as, as we go, as we roll forward, you know, five years, 10 years hence. I think over the last year, I mean, just like many organizations have been, you know, rapidly you know, accelerating their digital innovations, criminals are also capitalizing on, you know, the digital innovation by automating and applying artificial intelligence or AI to many of their tactics. This has enabled them to quickly create more sophisticated uh, multi-vector attacks um, that can be carried out at machine speeds. And for example, cyber criminals are now leveraging AI and automation to actively locate and exploit multiple vulnerabilities simultaneously uh, while evading detection. And the automation they've enabled in, in these attacks allows it to, these attacks to be much more prolific and cause even more damage. So it's really important that CISOs also use that on the defensive side. Um, they need to implement AI and autom automation as well if they want to proactively tackle today's automated cyber attacks and then say ahead of, of the cyber criminals. You know, with solutions like AI-assisted network access controls, cyber professionals can really achieve clear visibility into every device accessing a network at any given time. And with AI and automated tools, it really allows, you know, IT administrators to simplify their network management across environments. And it can alert your security teams uh, to imminent threats and be able to process an automatic threat response. AI especially uh, continu continuously sift through mountains of data collected from devices across the network uh, to identify threats. And that's especially important as we're seeing more and more logs being generated as we have more devices and users accessing our networks remotely. It can make it easier for already our strained security teams uh, to identify threats, you know, streamline the workflows, and create consistent and efficient responses. In addition, it really reduces the chances for human error, which is a big problem um, relating our security teams. Um, by taking humans out of the loop, as well as through elimination of slow manual processes that are no longer viable in, in today's environment. Do you think we're going to have something like automated security, you know, policy creation and enforcement in the near term? Or is this, as you suggest, I think more about 
you know, removing redundancies, uh, making it easier for human beings to see the information they need to make informed decisions and kind of, you know, canceling out some of the noise in the system. Right. I think it's a combination of both. I mean, you have your event correlations through your SIM technologies, but then you also have technologies like security orchestration and automated response. What allows you to create those playbooks where you can take those automated responses. So when you see, you know, key events start to happen, it can automatically take, you know, steps to remediate the threats without having that that human in the process having that human intervention. Because, you know, as we've seen, you know, attacks and successful attacks can happen if not minutes or seconds. And so you really need to be doing that incident response at machine speed in order to, and be able to do it at scaling across your entire enterprise if needed. And so that's why it's really important to have that AI-driven informed decision-making, but also having it through automations um, and having those playbooks in place. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be one of the lessons of solar winds, right? Like nobody's going to spot the Russian backdoor in the signed software update from the vendor, right? So given that, you know, you can't just stop applying patches, it seems to me that, you know, the next line of defense is, okay, well, we, we, need, to, we need to spot the lateral movement, the attacker activity as early as possible, right? Correct. It's definitely about making sure that you have that monitoring and detection um, and cross the entire threat landscape in place. Um, so you need to have that broad visibility. But at the end of the day, you still be have to take those automated courses of actions um, because you need to be able to do it at, at speed and scale. So we're talking to you as part of a, a series we've been doing all month long in, in March uh, in observance of Women's History Month and speaking to folks like yourself who are prominent women in information security. A couple of things. I mean, first, could you just talk about your own kind of path to information security? And were you, as a, as a young woman, really interested in computers and, you know, puzzle solving and kind of some of the, some of the traditional characteristics of InfoSec professionals? How did, how did you find your way to, to the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually, I started on the IT side of the house, um, really doing IT and, and software support, um, end user support, and then slowly worked into doing things on the application side. Um, doing database administration, and then slowly but surely transitioned into the security side of things. Because you know, when you look at you know your assets and your data being one of the most important you know entities within your organization, the natural transgression for me was to to move into the, the security side of things. And so for me, you know, the cybersecurity side of things, it's such a fast-paced, constantly evolving uh, environment. Um, you'll certainly never be bored in this environment. And we need more women and more diversity. Um, I think in North America, women make up only about 4% of the cybersecurity workforce. And so there's a big opportunity for, for women, um, especially considering 65% of organizations say they don't have enough cyber resources. Um, so women can certainly help fill that gap. What does it mean to you to, to be a prominent leader in InfoSec and a woman? And, you know, what advice do you find giving to uh, other young women who might be looking to follow in your footsteps? Um, first and foremost, um, that means also serving as a role model and being a mentor, you know, doing my part to help get more women and uh, minorities into the cybersecurity field. Um, so again, you know, it, it involves getting out, working in the communities, um, being recognized as a female leader in the environment um, and working with, you know, not only just, you know, peer networking within, you know, my industry, um, but also looking at kids at high school and, and college age, going and talking to events like that on career days and stuff like that. Because again, I think you really need to get you know, definitely the younger generation, um, more involved um, at an earlier age. Um, so, you know, seeing the value in STEM 
um, and how the cybersecurity can be enjoyable and benefit career for me is, is kind of the one of the things where I, I enjoy. So definitely going and talking to um, a lot of kids in the college and high school age, helping them understand that, you know, the cybersecurity field, it's growing, it's challenging, um, and it can be a very rewarding uh, career path. I mean, you and I both know, because we're kind of in the industry, I mean, how desperate the need for talent is. And yet, I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like just in a broader society, there just isn't that much awareness of cybersecurity as a, as a profession, as a field. You know, I think people kind of think of it as a, as some place where you go, if you're like a savant or something, you know, like a Mr. Robot type, you know, and you kind of live and breathe it and, you know, you're kind of locked away in a room, but don't think of it as just kind of a traditional career path that you can, that you can follow. Absolutely. And you don't necessarily take, have to take the same path that I took. I mean, I came in from an IT field. Um, we need a diverse skill set in the cybersecurity world. We need people that can solve problems and not necessarily take traditional ways, you know, people that can think outside the box. Um, but it also takes not only just some of the technical skills, but also people that have a lot of the soft skills, you know, people that are, can do strategic thinking, good communications, good collaborators. Um, those are all skill sets that, you know, sometimes I've seen people that have transitioned from other fields, not only from IT, but other parts of business have transitioned into the cybersecurity field. So you're working on, uh, you're coming out with a, a children's book about cybersecurity. Can you talk about it and and uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, what this book is all about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having been in the cyber field now for over 25 years, you know, working both in intelligent and law enforcement agencies and now the private sector, um, I know that children can really be a vulnerable and lucrative target um, for not only identity thieves, but also for those looking to do much worse. Um, kids nowadays spend more time than ever online, and the internet can be a great place for kids to learn, play games, and connect with their friends. Um, however, it can also be a place where they put at significant risk. So being a parent of two kids, um, I know the importance of teaching kids how to be safe wherever they go, and that includes online. Um, so the book CyberSafe focuses on teaching kids about the fundamentals of good cyber hygiene, like, you know, keeping their devices up to date and, you know, good security practices like protecting personal information. And it does it with the relatable characters, a dog and a cat, um, that really teaches the kids, you know, some correlations for things we do in the physical worlds to stay safe, like wearing a bike helmet, you know, how we can translate some of those same um, approaches in the cyber world. And so these are basic concepts that everyone, you know, including adults should know and continue to practice. Um, and it's also important for parents to be aware of the dangers that their kids, you know, face. So I've also included a parent's guide in the book as well. Okay. And what do you tell the parents? So things they need to consider when their kids are online. First and foremost is, you know, talk to their kids and set expectations for what, you know, the online behavior should be. You know, what are some of the applications that they're approved to access? Um, making sure that the kids know that if they see something online that's either they don't understand or makes them feel uncomfortable that they should go to them or another trusted adult and, and to talk about it. Um, making sure that they look at things, um, security on their home computers, uh, making sure, again, their, their, their devices are kept up to date. Um, work with their ISPs that also often have free content filtering, um, allow you to prevent kids from going for, to certain sites. Um, so it really kind of gives them a, kind of a checklist of things that you know, parents should you know, be aware of. Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know how old your kids are, but I mean, it strikes me that young people, you know, teenagers, for example, are incredibly digital, di digitally adept, like obviously they're digital natives and they are very adept at using technology. And yet when I talk to them, they seem completely clueless about like the whole security piece of it, maybe less so privacy, but definitely the security piece of it is they just really don't have the time for and, and are 
are really kind of primitive in their thinking about, even while they have very nuanced understanding of like social media and, and how to use different, different tools and applications. I don't know if you've seen that as well. I think for a lot of parents, um, I think they falsely make that assumption that the kids more know more about the technology than they do. And in some cases, I think the kids, you know, in a lot of cases, know how to use the technology better than parents. But where I think there's still a lacking in understanding is how you use that technology securely. Being aware that, you know, when you post things out there in, in digital space, um, once it's out there in public domain, it's very hard to get rid of. Um, and so making sure that they understand that, you know, there are people targeting them for things like, you know, identity theft and targeting their personal information. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, we need to bridge that gap in, you know, the understanding of, yes, you know, you use the technology and you know how to use the technology, but now we need to tell you how you ensure you use that technology securely. So what's on your radar for 2021? What, um, what is, what's top of mind for you? Um, again, I think a lot of it is continuing with that education, awareness, and, and training. And then focusing on, you know, we're living in this environment, you know, where we're going to be in a remote and hybrid uh, environment, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, and so it's really ensuring that, you know, we continue to practice those safe practices, um, ensuring, you know, we ha are protecting our endpoints, ensuring that we have secure connectivity and access, um, whether that you're connecting into you know, your actual network or you're actually in, into cloud environments. Um, so, again, it's, it's really going to be focusing on, as we see, you know, over the last year and going into 2021, um, there's a real need to ensure that, you know, you have security anywhere, anytime. And so that's really what's really focusing on for me for 2021 is making sure that, you know, how we continue to provide that environment. And as we uh, wrap up Women's History Month, any final words of advice out there to young women who might be listening and curious about careers and information security? Definitely. It's worthwhile looking into. I've been in this business now for over 25 years. I have had a great career. Um, it's been exciting. It's learned a lot. I've met a lot of great people along the way. So if you're looking for a challenge and, you know, you, you definitely have, have an interest in, you know, making the, the environment and the digital environment safer for those around you, then definitely look into taking your career field in cybersecurity. It's very diverse. Um, and as I said before, you won't be bored. You will not be bored. The bad guys continue to innovate. That's one of the <laughs> that's one of the things that keeps information security successful. Uh, exciting. Uh, Renee Turn of uh, Fortinet, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on the Security Ledger podcast. It's been really great having you. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate the time. No problem, Renee. Thank you so much, first of all, for being accommodating this afternoon and moving it back, and obviously for taking time to, to speak to us for this podcast. Renee Tarrin is the Deputy CISO and Vice President of Information Security at Fortinet.